So, eat, pray, sleep. I was wondering what I should talk about in a series of eat, pray, sleep, and I was kind of tempted to come and just give you a whole load of my best recipes for curries and, and lemon drizzle cake, and oh, I've got a great one for lasagna and a vegetarian lasagna, and so I was getting a bit distracted there, so probably not eat. Uh, I was wondering about speaking on love, and as a youth will know, God is doing some really stuff with me at the moment, and I'm, and I'm talking about a lot of tough love, and I thought, well, we'd probably be left with one person in the room if I spoke on that, so let's, let's not go there. And, and then I, I was in a quiet time, and, and I was just reminded by the promptings of the Holy Spirit that he's given me a message on prayer, that he's told me to keep preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. Because I don't know about you, we hear a message and we go away and go, that's great. And then we walk away and forget it. But I believe there's some, some things that God wants to say to us as a church, as believers in this land. And we need to listen to what Jesus is saying. And we don't need to just go amen in a, in a sermon, but we need to put it into practice. So I know some of you have heard what I'm going to share today, but that's good. I know the Dixons have. I remember, I remember being in the room, where I think... Uh, um, I think one of your daughters heard it three times, this message, in, before the lockdown, but it's good. Let me pray. Father, we just pray that you would change our hearts. Lord, we come to you as the one who is the teacher. You are the teacher. So, Lord, I pray that you teach us this morning, but more than that, you transform us this morning. Amen. Amen. If you've got a Bible, turn to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, and I was, I was reading Isaiah 54, and I was reading through it in, in a, I think I was doing a Bible in a day, not Bible in a day, that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? Bible, Bible in a year, and I, got, and I was reading through Isaiah 54, and I came to verse 17, which says this, No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. I, I, I stopped what I was doing, and, I, and I, I do like writing over my Bible, and if you, if you can see which you can't, I wrote wow at the top of my Bible, because that is an incredible promise right there in, in Isaiah for the children of God. No weapon that is formed against me will prosper, and it's because it is my inheritance as a child of God. In other words, it's not because I've earned it, it's not because I've deserved it, but because, it is, because I'm a child of God, it is my birthright that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Incredible verse. I bet some of you have got it on fridge magnets or in those the little books which just cherry-pick the best verses and put them all together and it's great for cheering you up when you're having a hard time. Brilliant verse. But I'm sat there in my armchair and I'm looking at this verse and... I start to pick an argument with God. Now, you know that's a not a very good idea to do. I mean, because he's always going to win. But you are allowed to argue with him. The Psalms are like that. You're allowed to argue with him as long as you realize he's still God and he's still boss. And I, and I, I took this verse and I said, but God, this isn't true. And I said that because I know people who have died who shouldn't. 
I know there's battles that we faced as a church, which we've lost. And so I'm there struggling with this verse going, but you say no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. And yet I've seen the enemy win in my day. And so I decided to actually work out what this verse meant. And I suddenly realized as I was looking at verse 17, as you can see, it's in the top left of my Bible. I just read Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54. And I just realized I didn't know what the verse before it said or the verse before that said or the verse before that said. I'm going, I've just, I, I, I don't know. If, are you like me? You read the Bible and sometimes you, re, you, you wonder what I did for that last 10 minutes because I don't remember anything. It just went straight over my head and I'm supposed to be getting into the word of God and yet it's just not working. It's just not happening. And then something hits you and you go, oh, wow. And now I'm paying attention. So I went, I went back through and in Isaiah 54, um, it is a chapter of turmoil. I mean, just in verse 11, it says, oh, afflicted one, storm tossed and not comforted. This is written to a people who are in turmoil, who are in pain, who are in a conflict, who are feeling uncomforted. And as I carry on, I'm not going to do that all because we've only got so much time this morning. I got to verse 14 and it says, in righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression. Now that's the kind of verse I like. I don't like the storm tossed one, but I like this one. You will be far from oppression for you will not fear and from terror for it will not come near you. Brilliant verse. And then the next verse happens. If anyone fiercely assails you, wait a minute, I thought verse 14 said that oppression will be far from me, I will not fear, and terror will not come nowhere near me, and yet I'm still going to get attacked. Sometimes we misinterpret what the Bible says. God never said that you would be away from trouble. In fact, Jesus says, you follow me, you'll have tons of it. We sometimes have a gospel that is, you come to Jesus and everything will be all right. All your problems will just disappear away and no more will you have any hurtache or any pain. It is a pile of rubbish. The Christian life isn't like that. The, the Christian life is this. You will face many trials and tribulations, but he is with you. And this verse, verse in it, and if anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fail because of you. Jesus doesn't promise that we won't have fights. He just promises that we will win them. Anyway, I'm looking at this and I'm going, if anyone fiercely sells you, it will not be from me. Well, that's brilliant because I'm not going to win a battle with God, am I? Whoever assails you will fall because of you. And I'm kind of like doing a double take because of you, because of me. Doesn't say because of God, doesn't say because of the cross. It says they will fail because of you. I'm like, is that is my Bible just gone wrong? Have I got a heretical Bible here? So I check other versions, and the NIV doesn't say anything like that, and the NLT doesn't say anything like that, and then I got to the ESV, which is a very accurate translation, and yes, it said the same thing, that they will fail because of you. So I thought, oh dear, I've got to get into the Hebrew of this, and I don't speak Hebrew, so I have to go to a teacher about it, and I got taught this. What that verse literally means is that the enemy will throw itself against you, but it will hit you and fall at your feet. There is a role that you need to pay, play in destroying the works of the enemy one. 
And there is a victory that we have in defeating the enemy. He will fail because of you. What's the next verse say? Verse 16, Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon for its work, and I've created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. What is the Bible saying here? It's saying, it's saying, well, this is what I think it's saying. Maybe I'm wrong, but this is what I believe it's saying. It's saying that God has got you in his refiner's fire. He's got coals in there. He is putting you through the furnace to create you into a weapon that has no equal, that has no rival, that nothing can defeat. The ultimate weapon. But it doesn't come from just being there. It takes a smith blowing on the coals, taking the weapon out, banging it into shape, putting it back in the fire, taking it out, banging into shape. And it also takes attack, an attack from the destroyer to make this weapon into something that is invincible. The Christian life is, is, is this. God will take you through trials, through storms. He won't take you away from them. Sometimes he will, but a lot of times he won't. He will let you endure the pain. He will even let the destroyer come and attack you. He will put his refiner's fire on you. Why? So he can refine you and form you into a weapon that can destroy the enemy. Don't normally hear that preached. The church has been selling a consumer gospel of a comfortable life with an amazing free, amazing marriage where all my needs are met at the touch, touch point of a vending machine of prayer. Jesus said it's going to be a struggle. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. Die to self. Give up all your possessions. And if you can't do that, you're not worthy of it. Wow. You see, the church, I, I, I believe, is this. We think it's like this. And this has been increasing the pandemic. We seem to be thinking that churches, we come in, we sit down, we get our remote out, we, we turn on the TV, we get the preacher we want, and not just the preacher we want, with the message we want, because we don't like that message, because that makes me feel a bit funny. And we put on the worship that we want for the time that we like it, with the singer that we like, and that's our church. And it's a consumer Couch potato Christianity. Jesus is wanting an army. Jesus is getting us into a training camp. He's kicking out of us bed at 4 a.m. in the morning. He's getting us crawling through the mud underneath barbed wire. He's telling us to scale that wall and get over. He's telling us to run until we feel sick and then to run again. Because he's creating a toughened, warrior-like, muscly ripped tough army. Because there is evil in this world and it needs to be destroyed. Amen. You see, you... Let, let me put it this way. Your purpose, your destiny, do you know what you were made for? It's to attack injustice. It is to destroy poverty. It is to find evil and put it out of existence. That is who you are. That is who you were made to be. 
a fighter, a warrior for the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 54 talks about uh, the Lord being the Lord of hosts. That sounds lovely. What does it mean? The Lord of armies, the Lord of heavenly armies, and the Lord of earthly armies. Church, we are in a fight. Some of us, we've been, it's been felt like that we've been in a boat that's been tossed around in a storm. The winds come against us. The rains come against us. And we've doubted, where did I go wrong? What sin did I commit? Where did I mishear that prophecy? Where have I stepped out of God's will? And yet I just know the story from the Gospels of the disciples being in a boat in a storm. And Jesus was there right in the boat sleeping with them. If you are facing a storm, it's not necessarily because you've walked out of the, of the will of God. It could be because you're right in it. You know, interesting story that. The disciples are in a storm and they go and wake up Jesus because they're in a storm, which you think is a really good thing to do. You know, what do we do in prayer? We're in a problem. Well, we go and go to Jesus and ask him to sort it out. And yet he's upset. And he goes, How, you of little faith, why didn't you sort out the storm yourself? I think the church needs to grow up and start taking on these storms and not just waiting for God to do it. He's given us the authority. He's given us the power. He's given us the commission. It is who we are. We are the government of God on this earth. It's time for us to take our place. Are you all right? I know I'm getting very passionate. I'm not trying to be nasty. It says that one of our labels as children of God, if we believe in him, is that we are overcomers. That isn't an honorary title. We're not just given it because we, we, we said yes to Jesus. We are overcomers. Why? Because we overcome things. We overcome trials. We overcome sickness. We overcome persecution. We overcome sickness, the, the sickness of this world. We overcome prostitution in the neighborhood. It's because we are overcomers is why we're called overcomers. We shall overcome by the, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. To get a testimony, you need a test. The bigger the test... The bigger the testimony. Hollywood loves stories about overcomers. Uh, I mean, just think how boring a Hollywood movie would be if there was someone who had lots of money, lots of wealth, everything was easy for them, and they just did all right in business or something. That would be a really boring movie, wouldn't it? Unless something else is going on. They've got to have something that they have to have a fight of, if it's a, a love affair or whatever else. I love, I love Cool Runnings. Anyone see Cool Runnings, that film? Yeah, with, with that, I think it's Jamaican, is it? Jamaican uh, bobsleigh team. And they have to overcome money issues, work issues. They have to overcome, but they can't go anywhere where there's actually any ice to run a bobsleigh down. And so they're doing it down tracks and down mountains, but they get to the Olympics. We love stories about overcomers. The thing we forget is we don't like to be in the middle of the overcoming. But it is our destiny, it's who we are. On Tuesday morning, September the 11th, two hijacked commercial airlines were flown to the north and south towers of the World Trade Center complex in New York. In the impending disaster, we hear Americans affectionately talk about the heroes of the emergency service who were running into the buildings as people were running out. In June 2017, Grenfell Tower, a 24-story residential tower block in North Kensington, London, was engulfed in horrific blaze, killing 72 people. 
again in our British media, we hear, heard about the heroes of the emergency services who were running in as the residents were running out. I was contemplating this and thinking, this is like what the church should be. And then I saw this on Twitter. Grenfell Tower. How the church responded to tragedy as it always does. By running towards it. You were not saved to run away from problems. You were saved to run towards them. The foolish builder and the wise builder, they both face the storm. It's just one stands up and one falls down. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. You are being made through often the painful processes of God, through his discipleship, into the ultimate weapon. Not to hide away, but to run and do battle. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. It's very interesting that in the Bible, when it talks about conflict and swords and war and stuff, it often talks about speaking as well. Every weapon that comes against it, you will defeat, and, you, and again, it's you will condemn, but you will speak out and condemn something and attack on you. Let me turn to, if you've got, you've got in your Bibles, Isaiah 41, verse 15. Let me show you something else. Ah, time. Isaiah 41 verse 15 says this, Behold, I have made you into a new threshing instrument with sharp teeth. You will thresh the mountains and pulverize them, reduce the hills to chaff. Making you into an instrument for destruction of mountains. I remember Jesus saying something very similar. He said, you will speak to the mountain and cast it into the sea. The reality of this life is that the devil will weaponize every tool and every, every opportunity to attack you, to demoralize you. He will use your kids. He will use your spouse. He will use the preacher at church. He will use that annoying person at the end of your row. He will use your finances. He will use whatever he can to attack you because he hates you. But how about the next time that we're having problems with a colleague in work? We pray for our workplace rather than moan about it. How about when we are having trouble with our kids, rather than picking up that phone and moaning to our, to our friends, or as, as it normally happens now, putting it on your social media feed. Why you would ever put that on your social media feed? I don't know. I'm always amazed what people put on their social media feeds. How about instead you say, uh-uh, no devil, off my kids. No devil, you cannot have my kids. I remember uh, my daughter, uh, she had had trouble with, with some girls. They were nasty to her, just as girls are. It's just things which happen, isn't it? And, uh, you know, she was, she was crying about it, but that's fine. You know, said some comforting prayers to it, put her to bed, all that kind of stuff. But I'm in, I'm in bed, you know, and I just felt this fire in my belly. I said, I'm not letting this go. I'm not letting this go. So I got up and I started warring for my daughter's life. I started warring for, for their friends. And do you know what I did? I spent half an hour of that prayer time praying for the salvation of those kids which had harmed my daughter, praying for the salvation of their families. I was basically saying this, devil, if you go against my, my kids, I'm going to give you a bloody nose that you never knew you had before. Because I am going to fight. And I'm going to fight. 
Isaiah also says this, he has made my mouth into a sharp sword. Oh, I could go to so many New Testament verses on this, but let me go to Ephesians 6. You guys all right? I know it's... It's not necessarily what you wanted to hear when you came through these doors today, was it? Anyway, here we go. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So what happens if we don't put on the full armor of God? It implies we can't stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and have done, having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded yourself. The Bible doesn't repeat stuff if it doesn't have to. Every word costs money. Three times Paul says, you've got to stand firm. Make sure you put on the full armor of God or you will not stand firm. I know we love to complain about our politicians. I love we, in the, well, I think probably quite justifiably at the moment, but who's really in control? Who's their master? Who did God leave in control? If we are not praying for our politicians, don't be... Um, Surprised by corruption, by inequality, whatever the party, whatever the color. If we do not put on the full armor of God, we will not stand. What's that mean? We will retreat. I think the church in this country has been retreating too long. We've lost so much ground. Why? Because we haven't put on the full armor of God. Let me go through it. Verse Verse 14, stand form, therefore, having girded yourself with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I was, I was looking into this and I know, I know that the spirit means breath. It's pneumatic is where we get the same word from. It means breath. The Spirit of God is the breath of God. So wait a minute. That means that's the sword of the breath. Interesting. What was the next thing? The Word of God. Now I, I looked into that. And you know what the Word of God? It's not Logos. It's not the written Word of God. It is the spoken Word of God. What is the sword of the Spirit? Well, I'm not going to fully define it for you, but I'll tell you one part of it is, it's when we start to speak his word into being. Why are we losing place? Because we are not speaking. Because we're not speaking the goodness of God. We're not praying. We're not, we're not you know what I mean. What does Paul immediately say after saying, Make sure you have the soul of the breath, the spoken word of God. What's he next say? With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and within, the, within view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. 
What does Jesus say straight after the soul of the Spirit? You better pray. When? All times. With what prayer? With all prayers. In all times, in all occasions, pray, 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 pray. Do you know, I'm not sure the devil's that bothered when we keep our Bibles on the shelf. I think he's bothered a bit when we start to apply the Bible to our life because we are the light of the world. I think he's very bothered when we start to speak the words of God and start to take territory back. I, uh, I know from, from listening to a few um, reliable sources who we've had as guest speakers here, that one of the things that um, Satanists do is they infiltrate churches. Church our size, they probably infiltrate two or three. One of their main tactics is to stop, is to change the prayer meeting into a Bible study. Must be something about prayer. Must be about something about prayer they don't like. I know churches who have a prayer culture thrive. The Bible says this, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. It doesn't say this, don't sit idly by, come to church, sit on a seat, sing some songs. It says resist. What does resist mean? It means fight. It means there's a fight that we need to have. When Jesus is in the desert, he has to fight the devil three times before he disappears. So why don't we pray? My first point is this. We don't believe prayer is powerful. If we did, we would do it. I'm not talking about attending prayer meetings. I'm just saying we would do it. Number two, what stops us praying? Well, we think, well, which prayer? Is it, is it a prayer of supplication? Is it a prayer of, God, will you come? Uh, what prayer would it be? This is my little, little thought at the moment. If your theology is stopping your action, junk your theology. Throw it in the bin. What do I mean by that? I mean, so much of the church is inactive because we're struggling about the right way to do it. And our theology gets in the way. Paul said to pray with all prayers. Pick one, choose one. Just start praying. Praise God. So just start declaring how good he is. Start putting the scriptures on, on, on your mouth. Just start somewhere. And then if the Holy Spirit told you to go in a certain way, well, we'll go that way. But I'm just going to start fighting. Third reason. I tried it and it didn't work. Anyone been there? I tried it and it didn't work. I remember Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee and he meets uh, a, a, a demon-possessed guy and he's, he's uh, naked and he's, that's not the big issue. He's violent, full of demons. Jesus goes up to him and casts the demons out of him. We then get the story about Legion. Why do we get the story about Legion? Because Jesus cast the, the devils out of him and he didn't come out straight away. You read the account, it took him at least two times. If Jesus in the desert took three attempts to get rid of the devil and he took two, at least two attempts with legion, then maybe we can have more than one attempt. Yeah. 
Because this is a fight we're in. When it says uh, that no weapon formed against you will prosper, it means this, will not win in the end. It doesn't mean there's no fight. It doesn't mean that, they mean, that the devil comes to you or, or things come to you and you don't have to stand your ground and have a war with it. It just means, um, sorry, it just means, I don't know what it just means. I forgot what I said. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You, you got what I said. Sometimes we need to preserve, preserve, persevere and fight. Most stories about raising the dead, they took hours, if not days. But we're still in our consumer. One click, said a prayer, did it work? Oh, must not be the will of God. Third one is this, and I'll be really quick, because we're out of time. Whoops. And then we're going to very quickly pray. Just done the cardinal of sin. I wanted you all to pray. I talked about prayer. I don't have time to pray. <laughs> have you been in prayer meetings like that? I have. Anyway. I think this was important. Some of us <laughs> don't pray because we did it and we lost. I remember we had a fight with one of our dear sisters with cancer. And we prayed and we prayed and we fought and she died well before her time. And I had to get up on the Sunday morning and lead the church in prayer. I didn't want to do it. I pretty much wanted just to stay at home and forget. But I did. And, I, and, I, and I, after searching God, I went on the attack. We, we mourn with those who mourn, but sometimes we need to carry on fighting. And I remember offending quite a few people, and I knew they were offended because they told me. But I remember other people being really encouraged because I said, we may have lost this one, but I am not going to lose the next, or I'm going to fight the next. And if we lose the next one, I'm going to fight, and I'm going to fight, and I'm going to fight. We're going to get cancer destroyed out of this church. I don't care what's happening. I'm going to put my mind on heaven and the heaven reality, and I'm going to fight. The thing I most remember about that night was over my thought came, a thought came into my head which said, you'll pay for that. I don't think that thought came from heaven. Months later, my wife comes back from the hospital, from the GP, with a diagnosis of cancer. We have a conference down the columns there. I'm not there in the morning because I'm there with, with the specialist talking about how, what we're going to do. I walk into the conference. First thing I have to do is prophesy of a whole lot of people, which is quite, quite interesting, and they seem to enjoy it I, anyway. Uh, and then Dan McCollum spoke over me and says, uh, you have, something like this, you have a heavenly hate of cancer. And I went, I'm being reminded of my statement. Yeah. Leslie, as you would know, is completely cancer-free. But I am determined not to give up on the fight. I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight.